just asked me if I felt like preaching after that. And I said no, because who would want to follow that most perfect example of, of welcoming new life into our church and into the kingdom of God? I probably ought to just go sit down right now. I, don't, I really don't think there's much to add. But um, because I can't help myself, I'll probably continue talking a little bit anyway. So today is Father's Day, uh, at least in Australia. In the States, it's Labor Day, but it's fine. Here, it's, it's Father's Day. Um, always an interesting day. Uh, I feel very fortunate. I had a pretty good relationship with my dad. Um, so that's good. So I feel like, yeah, Father's Day. I like Father's Day. I like to celebrate Father's Day. I like being celebrated on Father's Day. But I'm also quite aware that there are a lot of people in this world for whom this is not a good day. Um, who don't have a good relationship with their father. And so I want to kind of think about it a little differently. That this, is there a, is there a way of thinking about today that is theologically helpful, that is not, in that sense, oppressive, that doesn't expect us all to just get on with our dads, or doesn't expect me as a dad to be perfect, which uh, my daughter Zoe will tell you, possibly with an itemized list, I'm not. So what can we have for a theology of Father's Day? Well, I'm going to start with a provocative quote. Because I think this is, this is a quote that demonstrates how we often think of things, and there's a reason for it. And Zoe, this is because you wanted me to do this. So in the great film Fight Club, <clears throat> which I'm sure we've all watched many times, the character Tyler Durden says to our unnamed narrator, <clears throat> Shut up! Our fathers were our models for God. If our fathers bailed, what does that tell you about God? He, did, he does not like you. He did not want you. In all probability, God hates you. That is the line. I don't believe that, but I think we believe this a lot of times. I think it feels like this, that when we look to understand our God, we look to our earthly models, which are our dads, and to some extent our priests and our bishops, and when they don't live up to those expectations, or when they fail, or when we fail, or when those relationships break down, we put this onto God, and it's hard not to. It's hard not to feel like God doesn't want us if our fathers don't. Sorry, forgive me. A little emotional. But maybe we can think about it differently. Maybe we can understand from the epistle and the gospel today a different way around. And I think this was exemplified in the churching that we just saw. So I'm going to try to show you that in what Paul says to the Corinthians and in what Christ says to the rich young man, we find that Tyler Durden had it backwards, that God should be our model for fathers, and that that carries a number of very serious consequences for what we think of in our own lives, in our own relationships, and for what it means for us to be children of God. So, I'm going to start with the epistle, where Paul says, I'd like to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. Which is funny, because he's actually spent the first 14 chapters of this letter. Well, they weren't chapters for him, but he spent the first enormous amount of this letter 
reminding them of that gospel. And now he says, I'd like, to, I'd like to remind you one last time, guys. I've been going on for pages. What did I tell you? And he says, well, Christ, who died for our sins and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Exactly what we say in the creed. This is the substance of the gospel. He says, I'd like to remind you of that. Because it's not just what I preach to you, it's where you're standing now, and it's the one through which you are being saved, present tense. Not have been saved, you didn't get saved, you're not saved past tense, you are currently in process of being saved. And the problem with being in process, being in the middle of things, is that it's an anxious place to be. The journey is never safe. The journey is filled with unexpected pitfalls, dangers, anxieties of all kinds, and the outcome is uncertain. Yes, we are being saved, but we are being saved in a state of hope and fear, hope of heaven, fear of damnation. And it can be hard to hold fast to an uncertainty like that, to live in it. And it's very easy to go looking for certainty. And Paul kind of brings up the ways in which some of his correspondents have gone looking for certainty. See, they've gone looking for certainty like Tyler Durden did in earthly models. So he mentions Cephas, a.k.a. Peter, and James, the brother of the Lord, and the other disciples. And at the beginning of the letter, he had said, Now, I hear some of you are saying, I am of Cephas, or I am of Apollos, another great early Christian preacher, or I am of Paul. People have been aligning themselves with earthly fathers, with the people maybe who baptized them or who first preached them or who they first met. They say, well, that's, that's my father. It's Cephas, or no, it's Paul. And what happens is they break into factions. They're fighting with each other. And he's saying, no, none of these were crucified for you. It doesn't matter if we baptized you. We're not your father. God is your father. And the gospel is his son, Jesus Christ. That's all you've got. And so in this passage, Paul says, yeah, I I, I know the apostles, the disciples, you know, Cephas and James and the others in Jerusalem. Great, yeah. But they're not the gospel. And, in fact, I'm not the gospel. He, He describes himself in terms that I think tell me that he's realized what it means to actually be a father to this community. That he is, he says, I I was the least of all, the last of all, like one untimely born, which is a term that carries much stronger connotation in the ancient world because unfortunately absent surgical and medical interventions, to be untimely born means to die. That's what Paul says he is. He was a stillbirth. That's his apostolic status. And yet somehow, yet somehow he has been chosen by God, not by what he did, but by God, to go and preach and love the Corinthians. And so he says, yeah, I am an apostle because Christ chose me despite everything that I had been and done. And actually, I worked harder than all the rest. It's such a Paul moment. I worked harder, well, not me. Right, because he, he is a hard worker. I mean, this guy traveled further, preached more, did more than just about anybody you could imagine, right? The rest of them stuck around in Jerusalem, were hanging out. He's like, I've been all over the map. Oh, but no, still not me. Because no matter what we do, no matter how great we become, 
It is not by our own strength, and it is not on our, under our own steam that we do it. And if we start relying on that, then we will surely fail. Paul says, no, it was the grace of Christ working in me. This intertwining of great achievements and lowly status, of tremendous ongoing effort and a recognition that it is only the grace of Christ, this together constitutes something we might call humility. And I think that is the characteristic that Paul associates with being a father to the Corinthians. It is not because he's so great. It is because he participates in his own way in the gospel of Christ, in the grace of Christ, in the love of God. And so, as the Corinthians have unfortunately misidentified their fathers and gone looking for Cephas or James or Paul, they have missed the point. They have missed the God who is at work in all of these. And this is a key moment for us, that when we receive a baby into the church, it's not that Father Jeff now becomes the baby's father in some sense, or that any one of us or anyone. No, it is the church, and not even the church, it is God. And all we're doing is exemplifying and participating in what God is doing. And so when the rich young man comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what can I do to be saved? And Jesus goes, whoa, call me good. Oof. Bold words, my friend. There's only one good. That's God. Now, if this young man understood what he was saying, that he's saying, you, you're the son of God. I know who you are, and therefore I know that you are good. Well, fine. But I think he just wanted to, to flatter. He's like, oh, you're a good teacher. And Jesus is like, you have no idea the level of expectation that puts on me. I mean, you're right, but you don't know why you're right, because only one is good, God, and only one is Father, God. The rest of us just try and get closer to that, usually not very well. And so, in the epistle, we see the dangers of misidentifying one's father and the need for humility. In the gospel, we see the danger of misunderstanding what it means to be a child and the need for love. And what I mean is, this rich young man comes to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what good deed, what action should I do to be saved? And Jesus starts off by saying, Well, what are the rules? You know the rules. What are the rules? Did you do them? And he goes, Oh, yeah. Honor your father and mother, Zoe. I'm looking at you. Right? Okay. No killing, no lying. And Jesus is like, Okay, you killed anybody? You lied? You honored your father and mother? I'm looking at you again. Father and mother? Okay. And he's like, Yeah, yeah, I totally did all that. Totally did all that. She's like, great, you're a rule follower. You're the kid who wants to impress his parents by following all the rules. Now, I say this with some distaste because that was me as a child. My parents would, well, my, my dad would, would, would happily tell you that I was the kid that always did what they told me to because I just love following rules and I hate it when people don't follow the rules and just, Arr. and this is, I'm, so I'm like this guy. I'm like, oh, I get this guy. He, he, he's got his tick boxes and he ticked them off and he's like, yes. I did it. I'm going to get eternal life. And Jesus goes, hey, I got one more request. Just a little thing. Just a little thing. Um, I'd like you to give away everything you have to the poor. Leave your entire life and just come follow me. And the guy's like, oh, whoa. That's not on my list of rules. See, Jesus knows the rules. He is the son of God, the God who gave the law. He knows the law. But he also knows that it is not a good deed that grants us eternal life. That doesn't make sense. There's nothing we can do to get eternal life. There is nothing we can do to be saved. 
And so the command, or the admonition really, that he gives to this rich young man is in part a real um, castigation of wealth and the accumulation of wealth. I, I was telling Tatiana, this is like the fourth Sunday that I've, that I've been on for preaching and I've had an epistle or a gospel about the evils of money and the evils of accumulating wealth. Must be pretty popular in the Bible, don't know. Um, but I'll put that to one side, just kind of blow past the evils of wealth and go to the sense that this is a moment where Jesus says what you really have to do is let go of everything that you have been working toward and follow me. The rules aren't enough. If you want to be a child of God, then you have to become like the only begotten Son of God. And Jesus, who was not a rule follower, as we see in the Gospels many times, healing on the Sabbath, naughty, naughty, hanging out with harlots and tax collectors, very naughty, no rules, just an endless and impossible and infinite love. So you want to be the child of God? You want eternal life? It's not a good deed that we do. It is following the Son of God, becoming like Him. If God is our Father, then we are to be His children. And if God is our Father, then our model for fatherhood is humility and love. And so, too, our models for us as children of God. These are humility and these are love. They are not authority and rules. They're humility and love. That's all we've got in the end. Because that's what God reveals to us. This is the God whom we come to know in a very unpresuming man who suffered and died. So, in the end, I think, I think Tyler was on to something in that if we start with this big if, if we start, if our fathers, whether they be they biological or spiritual, if the people that we idolize or want to idolize are our models for God, then we're going to have to come to grips with the fact that we have a pretty lousy model for God because they are going to fail us just as we will fail them. But if we flip it around and say, if God is our model for fathers, well, then we have another possibility. The possibility not just that God likes us, but that he loves us, that he has always wanted us, that there is a strong probability that he loves us beyond anything we thought possible, and that it is our task not to impose ourselves as authorities, not to seek that status of being fathers, but to participate in humility and love, in the humility and love of the God who is saving us here and now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Through the